Hello, I'm Aaron Kelshika, Vice Chair of CFA UK's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee. Welcome to the latest episode of CFA UK's In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. In this episode, I'm talking to Natalie Gill, Head of DEI Strategy and Industry Engagement at PGIM, and Sarah Maynard, Global Senior Head of DEI at CFA Institute about the UK Treasury Committee's recent call for evidence around sexism in the city. Natalie, Sarah and I, along with others, were involved in responding to the call for evidence. Given recent sexual harassment scandals at the Confederation of Business Industry, CBI, as well as the UK hedge fund, the Treasury Committee has been keen to examine the progress made in removing gender pay gaps and what role firms, the government and regulators should play in combating sexual harassment and misogyny. Quoting Harriet Baldwin, MP, Chair of the Treasury Committee, we'd like to know whether women feel more supported in the financial services industry than the previous inquiry five years ago. Has the culture in this highly paid sector shifted at all in the last five years? Natalie, have organizational cultures and the steps taken to promote gender and DEI issues within financial services meaningfully shifted over the last five years? What are the key reports or initiatives that you would like to highlight? Hi, Aaron. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Um, gosh, quite a lot has happened in the last five years. I think we had the Women in Finance Charter launch back in 2016. We had Gender Pay Gap Reporting launch in 2017. And both of those really focused predominantly on diversity representation. So they were looking at how many women do we have at different levels of seniority through organizations in the financial services sector? Um, and I think that was a good place to start. We have seen some positive movements, but they've been really slow. You know, the progress is not moving at pace um, quickly enough. We now have, I think it's an average of about 35% of senior representation across the whole of financial services um, is female representation in senior roles, um, which is still clearly got some way to go. So yes, we've seen some movement. It has been focused mostly on this point around representation. So if you look at what firms have been doing, they've really been focusing on recruitment, where to attract females from, um, ensuring that females, uh, women are being uh, promoted and those sorts of things. Um, and I think what's probably changed more recently in the last really just two to three years is shifting beyond just diversity to looking at the cultures that we've got as well. So that's why you're starting to see much more coming through in what firms are doing. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this a bit later around people's life cycle and those big moments that matter through people's lives that really are impacting their their day-to-day um, experiences, both at work and also outside of work. No, absolutely. And then thanks for, uh, for giving some good, great insights on, on that, Natalie. Sarah, when we think about the initiatives can you elaborate on the positive developments in encouraging women to enter investment management, as well as how institutions and stakeholders are implementing greater DEI practices? Sure. And thank you so much for, for inviting, inviting me to, to join you and Natalie on the podcast. I think, um, I think that, you know, Natalie's sort of summarized some, some great points of, that are encouraging and speak to, you know, a broader development. Um, 
And I, I guess sort of part of what we've been thinking about is, is that sort of inclusion piece, of course, and the culture around setting standards of behaviour. Um, and at CFA Institute and indeed, you know, other CFA societies, you know, we think very deeply about you know, professional conduct and ethical behaviour. And obviously all of these things are very closely aligned. Um, so it kind of does speak to, you know, as, as Natalie has mentioned, that life cycle piece, but also what it means to be investment professional and how that really should be thought about you know, across all of your all of your conduct in the workplace. Uh, and, and that, I think, is a very helpful sort of contextual way of, of thinking about these changes. Um, now, obviously, we're, you know, we're very aware in CFA UK, which I've been a member of um, since, I think, 1986, one way or another. Um, and what we've seen there is that, A, obviously, this is a conversation that certainly wasn't happening in 1986, but also... What's been happening too is that the survey data that CFA UK has been gathering um, really does reflect that you know we're still a very long way from where we need to be in the sense that obviously you know, 65% of respondents have experienced discrimination in the workplace that they believe had affected their career progression, um, and that's really a pretty pretty striking number. Um, and certainly, you know, 42% feel the industry needs to make the most improvements in gender. Um, and followed by race, and perhaps we could come back to that one. But I think um, the sort of recognition that, you know, gender is the universal diversifier. Um, and after all, you know, women are just over half the you know, population in, in uh, most countries, all countries. It's, it's, a pretty, um, it's a pretty fundamental piece of work that needs to come, be brought into place to, to really address those, those statistics. Um, now, where that I think starts to happen is in the inclusion piece. You know, actually seeing what organisations can do around uh, inclusion and belonging, um, and indeed how they start to progress uh, in terms of bringing people into the industry who, frankly, can read about all this in the media and feel really doubtful as to whether this is an industry for them. So that's where I think you know initiatives like uh, like Gain or CFA UK's own Young Women in Investment programme, which we run globally with CFA societies, can really make a difference because that the work that we do is both to attract these young women to get a qualification, to get, if you like, ready to, to get into the industry, make the most of all they have to offer, um, so set them up for success. But also we want to work or we do work with organisations to educate them too about the changes that need to happen in order for those organisations to actually genuinely be inclusive. Because, you know, as Natalie indicated, if you focus on, on sort of diversity angle and recruitment without doing, essentially without doing the inclusion work, then folks won't stay. And this is going to be true for any minoritised population. And sadly, in this context, you know, women are that population. So I think it's multiple things coming together. Um, the ethics, the professional standards, the work on inclusion, the initiatives to reach outside traditional sort of feeds for the industry. And most of all, listening to those who've taken the trouble to respond to surveys and share what they've experienced. And for the industry really to take that to heart. Natalie, I mean, given the value of cognitive diversity within institutional leadership and at board level, how can greater balance among senior leadership teams be achieved? And what benefits do you see arising from this with respect to DEI? So I think, firstly, it recognising that point about cognitive diversity is really 
really important. So much of the convers, so many of the conversations that I have, both within my own organisation but across the industry, um, really speak to the input of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And by that, I mean that representation piece. Actually, if you think about what we're trying to do, we're trying to get a broad range of perspectives, of opinions, um, of w- from people coming into the industry who can then bring different values, different uh, suggestions, different solutions, so that we're actually driving the most optimal solutions through decision making. And so I think, firstly, highlighting just, you know, in the question you've posed to me, how important that cognitive diversity is. That's the goal of the majority of DEI efforts um, within organizations. It's to get a broader range of voices into the room. But as Sarah said, there's no point in having those broad range of voices unless you're actually monetizing that. And by that, in this instance, we talk, we're talking about creating the spaces that people need and the environments that people need to be able to speak up, to be able to share their views and perspectives, to be able to challenge somebody more senior than them um, when they have an alternative solution, for example, in an investment decision. Um, So I I just wanted to pick up on that point in your question, because I think it's such an important area for people to remember when, what are we actually trying to achieve when we're trying to improve diversity representation within the industry? As to leadership levels and board levels, um, we know that this is going to take time because it is a pipeline issue. We know that we have a drop-off of women coming through as you move more and more senior into the, in, through an organization. We have less women represented. And that's evident, if I go back to gender pay gap reporting, the piece of gender pay gap reporting that's the most interesting to me is the number of women in the quartiles rather than the actual pay gap percentage that's the most often reported. Because what that shows me is where women are currently not represented or being progressed through an organization. If we know that's going to take time because people have to go through a career life cycle, um, the area of focus that I think we need is in that pipeline. And what we can't be doing is in 10 years time, having a situation where we've had a really diverse level of more junior employees in our organizations, but it's still not shifted as they've progressed over 10 years, say, of their career into those more senior roles. Um, So whilst we won't necessarily improve representation anytime soon in those senior leadership, executive board level roles, what we can focus on is the behaviours that those senior leaders are role modelling. And that goes back to the inclusive behaviours, the education, the awareness, the role modelling of good behaviours, the challenging my own perspectives and my own biases to make sure that I am creating the space as a senior leader within my firm to enable people to progress and not to impose um, unintentional biases or or viewpoints that inhibit that progression of those individuals. 
Thanks, Natalie, for sharing some great insights. And it's really um, helpful that you brought up the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, as opposed to, strictly speaking, equality, where people are considered, um, you know, all people are basically treated the same. Um, would you like to expand further on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yes, of course. And, and you're absolutely right. There is a real difference between equality and equity that sometimes isn't um, pulled out or isn't fully understood. So just to be really clear, equality is the idea of treating everybody the same. So thinking about everybody starting from a level playing field when the reality is that people aren't all the same. So we, we if we start from that, we're already not maximizing people's differences. So the concept of equity as it relates to the working environment is about recognizing that people are different and finding ways to support or to make adjustments so that those differences are maximized to really help us outperform across the industry. Sarah, as we look towards actioning and achieving our industry's DEI ambitions, what role do you see regulatory and voluntary activities and frameworks playing? Um, Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, given that we have just launched our DEI code um, for the UK and very, very happy and and pleased to recognise the great contributions that you and Natalie made to that work. I think the um, I think the regulator has a great role to play in, if you like, sort of setting the baseline for what's expected of the industry. You know, I've already referenced that sort of professional behaviour and clearly, you know, the, the role on the conduct side of things is pretty critical. Um, so I think that uh, that's an important, sort of, as I say, a baseline. But I also think the industry can be more aspirational than that. And, and what the way that we think about the work at CFA Institute and indeed with CFA UK um, is really trying to provide, if you like, a combination of support and challenge, because we see growth really happens at the nexus of support and challenge. So where we can sort of bring our mission, which is, after all, to work for the ultimate benefit of society. And there we are fortunate in having a mission which where we, we definitely have a commercial side, but primarily we also have a mission which puts us perhaps in a good place to do this kind of work. And therefore we can work with the industry. We can listen to, indeed, the sort of messages coming from wider society, think about how the industry is perceived, what we need to do to remedy those attraction points, and then help the industry to improve these points. Uh, and some of this is about recognising things like, you know, the boundaries around behaviour, um, the power imbalances that can exist and to the extent to which those are gendered in the workplace. What does that mean? Um, and so sort of setting those boundaries for behaviour, but also, if you like, encouraging the industry to go further and to do more, precisely because, as Natalie says, that cognitive diversity point is what's actually going to contribute to the bottom line, whether it's actually a better understanding of risk incorporating it and really being able to fully include the widest range of talent because we know talent is equally distributed across all populations and indeed that you know this is after all an industry in which you know markets provide us with challenge every day we need internal challenge we need to have that real diversity in the room to make sure we're making the best decisions given the complexity uh, of the work in this space so 
all of those good things can come together, um, which we hope will have, you know, much wider ramifications. So that's sort of really a lot of the thinking behind the creation of the DEI code, why we needed that combination of DEI experts like Natalie and investors like yourself um, to come together to work out what could the industry do if it's really trying to, to sort of do its level best and how can we all collectively uh, help that advance to happen. So that, I think, also frames um, this work as, as you know, benefiting women of, you know, of all identities, um, races, uh, ethnicities, however you want to think about yourself. And we're all after all much more than just one thing. Um, but also we're thinking about whole populations. Um, and particularly we've picked up the equity piece, which is you know, a difficult one, perhaps for the regulator, um, but really where we see the advantage of bringing uh, as a much wider um, percentage of the population into this industry. So again, that report and that business of real challenge, different thinking, leaning into difference, even leaning into the discomfort that can happen when you're communicating with somebody who feels and seems different to you actually puts you on your metal. We know that you know, some great research really reflects how when people are talking to somebody um, with a different kind of background to themselves, they will try harder, they will really sort of flex those arguments. And that's what contributes to better decision making. Um, so for essentially organisations to set the scene for that to happen, that needs inclusion, to bring folks in with lots of different backgrounds, that needs equity. And diversity matters in the accountability piece, because if you don't know who's in your organisation and you're not aware of how they've chosen to identify, um, then you're going to really sort of struggle to hold yourself to account. And that's the sort of third piece of the dynamic, along with the support and challenge that we believe um, our code can contribute. Indeed. I mean, over the past few years, CFP UK have been running an annual DEI survey. In 2022, the top five suggested responses to DEI issues in the workplace were, number one, encourage staff to respect each other's differences through campaigns. Number two, for institutions to respond to any evidence of complaints of inappropriate behaviour. Number three, for them to deal with any complaints of discrimination promptly and confidentially. Number four, to educate all staff about discrimination through training. And number five, to develop a workplace policy that prohibits discrimination, which is reviewed regularly. Sarah, Nasty, as a final question, what is the most important message you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation? So for me, I think if I can frame it in in three three areas. The first is is an observation. Both Sarah and I have talked, yes, about women in the industry, but everything that we've talked about has also connected other diversity dimensions, other underrepresented groups, um, other areas of marginalization or minoritization. And I think the first message I would want people to take away is that when we're talking about our workplace culture, when we're talking about inclusive behaviours, that is inclusive for everybody. We're not just the, the benefits of inclusive behaviours and an inclusive culture in the workplace don't just benefit those underrepresented groups. They benefit everybody. So that's the first message. The second message is, if I bring it back to women, um, the intentions are good. The progress is slow. And the evidence is really clear on that. We've got 12% of, of fund managers are women. We have 20% of senior executive and board members in asset management are women. The numbers speak for themselves. So we have more to do. And I think sometimes 
there is this sense that we've been talking about gender for a long time. You know, why are we still talking about women in the workplace? Well, that is why the numbers are, are evidence of that. So the second point is there is still work to be done and we cannot stop. We cannot rest on our laurels, particularly when it comes to women. As Sarah said at the beginning, you know, we aren't a minoritized population. We're not. We are a majority group um, in the workforce more broadly, but that isn't reflected and represented in our specific industry. And the third and final point is why is this important and why should anyone listening to this podcast be, be thinking about this? And the point is, this is about future-proofing our industry. If we want to retain and attract the best and brightest talent, we have to, who by, who by definition are diverse, we have to widen our sort of talent pools where we're looking for that talent um, we have to ensure that the industry is attractive to supporting those individuals to succeed um, because otherwise our industry is going to get left behind. So that's the other critical reason. This is about ensuring that the legacy of underrepresentation we've inherited doesn't persist and prevail into the future. And Sarah, what would you like to leave our listeners with? That, I mean, obviously, Natalie's summarised it beautifully as ever. I would say, um, you know, to the inclusion point, you know, this is work that everybody can do. It absolutely does need, you know, everybody to be engaged, which is why, you know, we've also made, you know, a big point of, of framing how this can um, be uh, essentially taken to heart by um, our membership. It's, uh, you know, they can make the sort of same kind of commitment organisations as a whole can do, and they can absolutely um, contribute to the business of making uh, the workplace environment a more inclusive and frankly a lot pleasanter place to be. Um, I think the other sort of piece of that really is um, in that holding to account because we have to be able to say to everybody else, you know, that this isn't just going to be a conversation, that, you know, we are collecting um, a much wider breadth of data um, in the code for the US and Canada, we, we already have nearly 18,000 employees included in that. And uh, you know, the, the percentage of the, uh, of the industry that's starting to, to sign up will really reflect um, some pretty interesting aggregated industry stats uh, in the next year or two. So you know, that accountability is very much there. So the opportunity is there. You know, that's the fundamental place. Um, to to emphasize to emphasize and then of course the other thing too where there is some good news we are seeing uh, candidates coming into the industry in terms of CFA candidates signing up to get a credential who are serious about their uh, professional prospects and there is a much higher percentage you know we're much more we're now looking at sort of pretty much sort of forty percent of females as part of that and multiple other dimensions of diversity which we're also starting. Um, to gather. So they are coming in very rightly with some different expectations. So challenge to the industry, challenge to those who are already there to step up to make these changes uh, and to be held accountable. Thank you, Sarah, Natalie, for talking to me about diversity, equity and inclusion and sexism in the city. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to look out for further episodes of CFA UK's In Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK's SoundCloud channel or Apple Podcasts.